0: Tanchi, bonjour. Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two of Research Time. I am so excited to begin this conversation today as it means to talk about so many important factors of what is going on, especially with regards to our society currently in October 2020. And this season is all about educators. So I think it's really important to invite educators to attend the season, talk about notions that are going on inside their classroom, their practices. So our first, um, our first invitee today is going to be someone that I admire as an educator very much. So I'm really excited for you to meet them today.
1: Hello! Hello! <laughs> Hello. How oh, techno- are you-
0: I am well. How are good, you? Good, good. <laughs> I was going to say, technology is on our side today, so I'm just really excited and goodness. happy about that.
1: <laughs> I knocked on wood just in case for the remainder. Oh, see, there we go. <laughs> there we go. That's great. I just going to told it like this. This is awesome. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> well,
0: Ashley, thank you so much for being able to join me with this wonderful conversation today. But as thank we you get started. Absolutely. Like, oh. <laughs> I, I am going to go into a whole heart spiel in a moment, but I think before I do that, it's really important for us to acknowledge the land that we're on. Okay, so Absolutely. I think the, uh, land acknowledgement is in order. Uh, <laughs> so you and I are both currently uh, situated on the traditional territory of Mohkinsis, uh, which is the part of the Treaty Seven uh, Confederacy, which belongs to the Blackfoot, uh, the real people, uh, Nisitapi, um, which includes the Six Gainai, Bagani, Sutina, Yahenokora, which also is Torinokora. Um, and they have the clans of Berespa, Chiniki, and Wesley, and this territory is also home to Métis Nation Region 3, which I'm a proud member of, but also have my relations to Treaty 1, of course. Awesome, uh, excellent! <laughs> <laughs> and of course, <clears throat> is like the one that you and I are going to have today are representative of Reconciliation and Action and you know, our efforts to work forwards, move forwards together, especially to build relations, which is immensely important, especially within this time. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for being here. And Ashlyn, I am so happy you're joining me today.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy to have even been considered. This is just such an amazing way to share, to share knowledge that more people can learn from. I'm yeah, I'm just what a cool platform. I'm so excited. Thank You're you. Amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted
0: to invite you too. Like, I, you know, I, I knew you from MRU. I think most notably, you've been across Britannia, and, yeah. you know, that. <sighs> Such a life-changing class. life-changing class yeah
1: absolutely she is incredible we learned a lot from her for sure <laughs> yeah we
0: did we did and you know that class was all talking about social studies and social studies curriculum how to practice mm-hmm. it how to use it uh within holistic ways especially with using you know indigenous forms of knowledge mm-hmm. and taking that up with students right so I remember how compassionate you are, how caring you are, how beautiful you are. Your soul is oh, just so goodness. caring, loving. I know you're in it for the right reasons. And, oh, you know, thank you. Like you never know. But with you, I have no doubt. I have no worries. And I know you're oh. going to do so well. With you. You're just you're very amazing and inspirational just fabulous to me and a fabulous ally like fabulous ally like if oh I my ever
1: goodness oh my gosh i am blushing you are just like <laughs> i just felt like for someone that was also a student in the class i just felt like you had so much to share with others and it was just um i i know that sometimes i got nervous talking with people like my age in front of kids i'm like oh yeah i can talk all day and i'm not that nervous but i just admired your yeah, just like your guts to share the really important information that perhaps we I, like I wasn't as privileged to know before that time so I just I felt like I just learned so much from you and I'm excited that I'll learn even more from you in this conversation today yay I'm excited <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> well thank you
0: thank you your words mean so much to me and I'm so happy that uh that we're, you know, in this together and, you know, the conversation again is going to be surrounding a really important topic, uh, resiliency. Would you like to uh, talk about first yourself and who you are and, yeah. you know, coming to the place of understanding resilience? Is is that okay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as Madeline said, I'm Ashlyn. I'm 26. I'm currently teaching uh, grade two uh, in small town Alberta. <laughs> um, I actually, my first teaching contract was high school humanities, which was a total curveball because Madeline and I graduated from the elementary specialist degree. But um, kind of going from one end of the spectrum to the other, it really affirmed for me that I'm in the right thing because I've loved every grade that I've taught in a whole different way. So it's um, it's really cool how much I can learn from kids kind of from seven to 17. It's been a really cool journey so far it's been very up and down but it's um yeah it's pretty cool I'm really excited to be a part of it um yeah I I actually don't know where other than my capstone where I really got the idea of resiliency education um but I had a really busy group of students in my final practicum and I just felt that they um they needed someone to reaffirm for them that they could do it even when it was hard and to kind of just kind of bring something back to um kind of just help them regulate before they could regulate themselves Um, and so i just felt really um strongly that that was something that i wanted to do more research about um and then the more i learned about resiliency as a whole the more i saw it as a piece of like indigenous way of knowing and being um and the article that we're going to be talking about today i just think really affirmed that for me even more so Um, just because there's like there's so much that you don't learn in the current curriculum so I think that it's really cool that even just like these summaries of stories are going to teach us so much more about just the resiliency of people Um, yeah and yeah so I just I felt very very pulled to talk about something that I found everyone needs more of especially in just current times things are tough and we just need to remember that we are tough enough to handle it so yeah
0: I think that's such a perfect quote we are tough enough to handle yeah. it we are resilient enough to <clears throat> handle it Absolutely. and especially with our brothers and sisters what is going on with like across the nation um especially with the um uh, people and also with what's going on in uh, algonquin territory too with uh moves to monitorium too with the, with the conservation efforts there's there's a wet sweat and even too that's also occurring right now as well like Goodness. there's so many yeah so many fronts where you know our brothers and sisters are are fighting and are being so resilient in, in itself. And you know, it's just important to raise awareness and talk about these notions, but doing so mm-hmm. in an educational way because education also equates to our resilience. It equates to, you know, sharing knowledge as a means for mobilization, but also for empathy gratitude understanding truth yes which is important for our kids to know about absolutely
1: yeah if there's anything that I could teach my kids I want it to be empathy I think that the world like it's just something that more people in the world need is to understand what other people are going through I think that that um, that could mean politically, that could just mean how it feels to have a kid left out on the playground. You know, like it could just, it could be anything for anybody, but we just need to try to understand how other people are feeling when they are, when, when, you know, when they're not as privileged as you are, you know, like you just kind of have to try to put yourself in their shoes and understand and really think about the human implications of things. Um, I think, especially in politics, it's just like, it's, it doesn't really matter about the, like, to me at least. I don't, I, I, I'm a human over money person always. And so like politically, I just like, I can't ever, I can't ever sit back and think like, oh, that person doesn't have food. And that's okay. Cause I do, you know, like you just, you just have to try to think about what you would need if you were in that scenario and be willing to put in the work to help others get out of it. And that's just something that I, I hope that my, like from grade two to grade 10 or 11, whatever grade I teach I want, like, that's just something that I think, um, I think that the world can sometimes take away from you because life gets hard, but I think that if, yeah, if anything my kids learn from me, I want it to be empathy, for sure. Yeah, so I'm glad that you brought up that word. Yeah.
0: Empathy is is important, but I think that also alludes here to, uh, to my first question. Um, Mm -hmm. oh, wait, first we should introduce the article itself. Um, Yeah. Would Oops. you like to share, share the article and what it's all about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to like advert my eyes a little bit, make sure I'm saying it correctly. So it's Rethinking Resilience from Indigenous Perspectives, an article from 2011 by Lawrence J. Kermayer, uh, Stefan Dandino, Elizabeth Marshall, Morgan Tony phillips and Carla Jessen-Williamson. Um, so it's an article review, the one that we're talking about specifically, but yeah, we're hoping to use it as a stepping point to dive deeper into the topics discussed.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that brings us to, you know, the resource in itself and what we found, you know, interesting from it and
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, what is telling from it, the perspectives that were shown within it. And mm-hmm. um I feel comfortable to speak to the Metis uh perspective because it, it did talk about a Metis perspective. And yep. with it it was interesting because they also talked about which is very relevant to right now as well, uh, the Bing Ma. Uh, perspective, and then also, yes. uh, yeah, Inuit perspective as well, and and, and the folks, folks uh, from from communities. You know, it, this article in itself is talking about resilience within each of these uh, communities, each of these nations, and uh, yep. it's really important to note as well that every single Indigenous nation holds different perspectives. Everyone practices yes. different everyone practices different ways of knowledge sharing um uh like spiritual ceremonies practices like yeah whatever you feel comfortable doing sharing it's all unique uh to yeah. to, to, to your nation so that's yep. really important to just share just as background because i don't know if uh, too many canadians are actually aware of that but totally. you can't just blanket all of us. you just can't so it's
1: no absolutely, Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up um, because even though some of the kind of like the bits and pieces and the details of um, the resource to an outsider seem similar, just like what you said, um, just how that, you know, that specific incident happened to them in that culture um, or at that time frame where they were in just even in their lives. It's just, yeah, it's really important to note that even you and i our best friends our families like we all feel things differently so then if we if we were to think about that as a whole culture way of course there's going to be differences and then compare culture to culture so yeah it's very important to note that especially when the term like fnmi you know comes into play in curriculum it's like it's important to note that first nations and metis and inuit yes they may be all indigenous people but they all have their own feelings and responses to things based on those cultures. So yeah, it's a, I think that those umbrella terms can be dangerous sometimes for sure. So I'm glad that that was Gosh. noted. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it. You're on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so with uh, with the resource too, it, it talked about the a Métis perspective called uh, De Debrouillade, Mm-hmm. And uh, it it is a French term, um, or or uh, connective to uh, Francophone undertones with uh, with the Métis culture too, as it is mm-hmm. uh, First Nation slash uh, Francophone, or it could be you know, it's basically from the the settlers that came over and mixed uh, together, um, and then be able to then uh, create a, a full new cultural identity uh, from this right. uh, melange from this mix. And that's where, you know, Métis comes from as well. It's mm-hmm. Métis. Mélange. So, sorry, mélange is mixed in French. Yes. Uh, so that's, you know, so that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah. Um So with with the article, it talked about uh, de brouillades. And this notion is, it's interesting because I never heard it before. It is mm. new to me. I've never, you know, within my circles, I've never... Experienced mm-hmm. this word or had any connection to this word, so I thought that was interesting. Um, and it's indicated on the on the resource on the article that it shared that it's talking about a word defining self re- self reliance, autonomy, and independence. Mm-hmm. And in, in this way, this is the word that is closest to resilience in a manner uh, to to Métis people, which is. Mm-hmm it's interesting because I think resilience is just resilience you know what I mean so it's it's yeah. interesting that you know again that's why I noted what I said prior because it's it's definitely you you can't assume all indigenous people will use the same notions yes. and identifications culturally or whatever the case so mm-hmm. I think in this way this word it's interesting I'd like to do more research on it I'd like to have mm-hmm. more conversation community about it to see their perspective slash positions oh,
1: absolutely. on it
0: yeah but it's definitely not a word I, I personally use to describe resilience I simply use resilience as resilience yes. so it's it's very interesting that you know the, the article brought that up for me but what did it bring up for you
1: um honestly i totally i think that this article kind of helped me check myself a little bit and so which is kind of interesting so i um and this is very like obviously a white privilege bias where this is coming from and i'm acknowledging that but i think especially because of currently as a teacher where our curriculum is at and what we learned about in school i automatically in my mind compared or like thought of resilience for first nation Métis inuit people as them getting through for lack of a better term everything that we as settlers caused and you know so i didn't even think about the fact that there were so many other struggles in their lifetime before we were you know when before we took over the land and now we're sharing this land you know so it was just it just reminded me like Well, of course, like we've all had things in our life before other people know us. And it just, it totally kind of made me check myself. It's like these, um, you know, indigenous peoples have been resilient since they're, you know, since they've been around, since they've been alive because resilience is what's needed for anyone to survive. So it just kind of helped me take a step back and be like, you know, we didn't make them resilient. They were resilient because of who they were. And I'm saying they're, they obviously very genuinely, or uh, generally, sorry. So I just, I thought that like, it kind of helped me think about other things that should be part of the narrative in learning. It, it isn't just, um, yeah, it isn't just necessarily what has been, what has happened to them because of settlers or because of colonization or since colonization. It's the fact that they have been strong and resilient peoples for a generation. So it was interesting to hear, um, just kind of interesting to hear some of those stories. Um, and, but it also just kind of helped me to think about that from a, from a learning and teaching perspective. I was hoping, I'm, I'm hoping that the way that I word this comes across properly. So I, um, I'm just going to read what I wrote cause I don't want to make a mistake. So I'm just, <laughs> if I just absolutely, ahead.
0: yeah, whatever um, you're comfortable with.
1: So I said, um, not that change or reconciliation should ever be comfortable because it should be, you know, a little bit uncomfortable for those that need to make changes, Um, So I want to preface my next point by saying that I know that, but perhaps um, these more historic examples of resilience should have a bigger role in current educational places. I think that at least in my experience, and I don't want to paint anyone with the same brush, but I teach in a very small town in Alberta. Um, And in my experience uh, growing up in small town Alberta and now teaching in it, Um, There seems to be some pushback with Reconciliation and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. um, Because, and I've had many conversations with friends about this, um, but they often feel like everything is the white man's fault. And obviously, we (laughs) settled on their land and used... Treaties as a way to try and get away with things incorrectly and we have to and we've uh, we haven't honored those treaties properly So I was thinking uh, from an educator perspective If maybe we were to focus on just teaching about the cultures in a really authentic and genuine way um, there would just be that foundational knowledge and empathy hopefully for just these people that we learn about then when we talk about the mistakes we've made afterwards there isn't a pushback because we aren't only talking about what we've done wrong we're talking about a culture and we're talking about the people that were impacted by it we're not just talking about what we've done (laughs) wrong which needs to be talked about we need to acknowledge what we've done and go forward but I was thinking like from an educator's perspective there's just so much that I don't know about so many of these cultures and I would love to learn more so that it can start from a really genuine and authentic place. And then from there, we can say, so this is what was there. This is who was there. This is how these people lived. And then this is what happened. How would you feel? You know, be think empathetically. Think like a human. Yeah. How would you feel if you were in that position? And then I think that there just wouldn't be as much pushback for lack of a better term about some of the, like, these really important topics of, in regards to reconciliation because we learn about people we don't just learn about our mistakes so that's really what this brought up for me it was totally like educator lens for sure
0: <laughs> that's beautiful and that reminds me of, uh, of a wonderful quote too is when you teach and share knowledge about indigenous cultures you must also share the brilliance and the uh, beauty of every single culture too and there's so
1: absolutely there. there's so much so much like I I took two three classes um about indigeneity or regarding indigenous issues in university and those three classes alone just like it opened up like it was a topic this big that opened up just like so much more And, you know, so I was, I noted somewhere in our little, like, note document here that we, um, that even just, like, those classes on Coursera, they're free. You can just sit and learn and try to understand, um, you know, just the the peoples that were here before us and the peoples that are, like, you know, genuinely allowing us to be on their land, you know? So I think, um, it, it has to start with kind of that education piece and it, and it should start with the beautiful details that kind of make that stand people apart. And then, Mm -hmm. and then we can kind of talk about, and hopefully others are more receptive to um, the changes that need to be made so that we can, you know, adequately, uh, adequately reconcile those relationships. So yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful way to put it. And I appreciate that perspective and that positionality too, because we need more teachers like you, honestly, to, to be able to be allies and to you know, formulate these relations and do so appropriately, ethically um, and in mm. compassionate and empathetic ways.
1: Yeah, so absolutely.
0: important work that you're also conducting too. So I commend you and I, I thank you for that too.
1: Thank you. No, absolutely. And I think that these platforms like this make it um, easier for people who have no idea what they're doing or thinking to think that, hey, no, I can do it too. You know, like it's, yeah. it's definitely a baby step process and it's really yeah. just, it all comes down to Know, kind of having empathy for people that aren't necessarily as privileged of you in one way or another. So, right. yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that that's just kind of what it has to come down to. So, I thank you for giving this opportunity for teachers to learn from. Absolutely, and not even just teachers, just people in general, just wanting to know All better, so- to do better. Also <laughs> welcome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's so that kind of, uh, you know, is perfect because it aligns to a new conversation talking about um, what does allyship does that mean to mm. you? And I think you talked about it in, in ways already, but yeah. how would you personally define it for yourself and your intentions, your relations, mm. especially in regards to your positionality as an educator um, and also within your, you know, just your work in general and what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so um, as someone... With, uh, with privilege. I need to um, ensure that I'm creating space for stories that don't get to be told as often or at all. Um, and then from there, uh, so that, you know, that can mean actually including people to tell them stories themselves. And then moving forward, I can ask for tips on how, or even if I am able to share those stories um, and then do my best to supplement those stories with action in my classroom. It's kind of how I thought of allyship. Um, It was something that actually stood out to me. It was uh, Jessie Lawyer from MRU. Love her, yeah.
0: Um, She, I don't remember (laughs)
1: which class it was that she came in and spoke in, but she said a line that said some, um, we were talking about storytelling and just um, sharing knowledge between people. And she said a line to me once that said, um, some stories can only be told when there's snow on the ground. And me as this like, uh, again, like white person that knew very little about indigenous culture, I was just sitting there and I'm like, well, Uh, Like of, of course, you know, like that, like that, totally makes sense. Just with how, um, spiritual and how connected to the land, so many, you know, like Indigenous people are. You know, I just, um, so I think that that the piece of the allyship that's really important for me is creating space because I'm in an, I have the opportunity to share stories as a teacher, but I also want to make sure that I'm not doing. I'm not telling someone else's stories if I'm not able to or if it isn't going to be as genuine or authentic. So that often will mean bringing, um, you know, bringing in knowledge, knowledge keepers, I believe is the correct term, depending on the culture, um, to into my classroom, so that they can share those stories themselves. And I think that, you know, it's like the difference between reading a book to your class in person or listening to it on YouTube, you know, is like, that hearing it from the source is just going to mean so much more. So because I have privilege and I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a classroom um, and, and a job that I can share knowledge with people at, very literally as an educator, I, I think I just, as an ally, need to recognize that um, I just need to support those that might not be in that position by bringing them in and giving them the space. Um, and then asking on for appropriate and genuine and authentic ways to share or supplement um, kind of that information and making sure that I'm doing it in a way that's showing cultural appreciation and not Mm. appropriation. Good. Um, Yeah, I think, I actually, weirdly enough, at a teacher's convention um, course, for lack of a better term, I can't think of the other word in my head, session. That's the word. (laughs) Um, A session, they, um, I was, listening to people and they were talking about doing a spirit animal activity and like having kids try to decide what their spirit animal was and i was sitting there and obviously like just nodding along and then it just kind of kept going and i put up my hand and i just finally asked is that okay like i'm i'm white and i don't know anything about what spirit animals in cultures actually mean to the people um kind of where that started so i don't i don't want to come across as someone it's you know like I just to me that was th- like like me dressing up as a First Nation person on Halloween you know like, I, like it just felt wrong and it just didn't feel like that was something that I was allowed to do um, and I heard differing things I heard one person who was indigenous say if you come at it from a pure heart with children I think that they'll understand the pureness of it but then talking to another indigenous person they said absolutely cultural appropriation that can be very misconstrued. So I, I think that it's really important, um, you know, as someone who, you know, someone who was speaking at that session, um, they need to make sure that they're giving genuine and authentic information. And then I need to make sure just like, and kind of just checking the, checking the sources and making sure that um, where, where that information is coming from to just make sure that I'm being an ally and not just, you know, ticking a box on the curriculum right. and teaching about indigeneity. You know, like I think right. that there's a big difference and I think that it's for a big difference, it's a fine line as well. So I want I just really want to make sure that I'm doing it right. And I think that when you're an ally, you have to consider the source, so then go to the source of the information as much as you can. Yes, so absolutely.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful, and I think that's really important for the folks who are who are listening and, and futuristically also listening to this, too. As educators, you have a responsibility to conduct your own research and ensure that it is still accurate, appropriate, secure, safe for your children because you don't know who's inside your classroom. You don't know how it's going to affect them. So you have to Absolutely. be cognizant about these factors, and you have to do the work yourself, right? Yeah. Especially in regards to being anti-racist. Like, it is continuous. <sighs> work it is every single day you Mm -hmm. have to check yourself at every single level is this appropriate for what I want as an outcome is this appropriate for what I want as an outcome how is it going to affect the student how is it going to affect the student you have to think about these things and you do have to pinpoint it you can't just use universal design for learning you can't just blink at all the kids and assume that all kids are just going to play you just can't do it you do have to differentiate and you do have to think about what you want to teach the kids and ensuring that it is culturally appropriate to do so so thank you for raising that and I think you're an excellent ally because that is key work to being an ally is to ensure that you are doing this as a means to ensure that you're checking yourself you're checking the resources you're sharing uh you're fact-checking you're also Uh, creating community in a way too. When you, when you ask these questions, it actually does foster uh, relations and you could, you could like make that really a beautiful relationship if you continue those relations and really make it uh, beautiful, you know? So
1: it's really good that you're doing that. Thank you. And you know what? And I think that um, potentially allyship is hard for people because of how hard work is, you know, like there's so much involved. And so I think that maybe that, um, you know, it makes, it makes people nervous because they don't want to do it wrong. Um, so, and I think it's just, it's important to know that like, if you, uh, again, like if you're coming from a good place, then that means that you're going to put in the work because it's important work, you know? So it's just, it's, there's a lot involved and there, and there will constantly be things that I'll be like, oh, that was an incorrect thing to say. I need to go back and make sure that they understand the difference. And you know, and that's just, that's growth mindset. That's just, mm-hmm. that's teaching, that's life. You know, like you never get it right on the first try. So I, I think that especially in regards to just other living, breathing humans, <laughs> uh, that work is more important than, than anything else. So yeah, I, I, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> and, and you bring up something you uh, uh i think you've also mentioned it before but as it means to foster allyship it's also discussing you know not only the resilience uh pro- like prior to colonization but also after colonization and the treaties that made um, but I think treaty education is also immensely important to understanding allyship because you're then understanding each of the numbered treaties, also the treaties uh, that were, you know, um, modern treaties, uh, treaties that are labeled differently, as we're not. Um, you know currently on because we are just on treaty seven like that's our mm-hmm. right now, but you know treaty six is just above treaty eight is just above treaty one Manitoba. Yep. uh so they're in various locations across the nation right so um so each of these treaties uh signify different relations with communities that were involved with creating of these treaties which are agreements mm-hmm. basically so yep. coming from that lens, you then understand. Okay, so who are the people involved? Who are because they are going to be different nations. I promise you yeah. that. Uh, no
1: doubt. <laughs> it's going <good>
0: to <laughs> it's gonna be different folks, different needs, different resources per nation, and what you know settlers wanted uh, to gain basically is is, yep. is at the basis of the majority of treaties. So, understanding this as as what it stands, this education is actually very key for, for allyship, especially for educators to then teach. Yep. And I know that you've shared, too, that, you know, educators are, are, are scared slash worried to to do treaty education, or to do allyship, or to do anything in, in regards to, you know, indigigogy, but with, which is indigenous pedagogy. It's
1: I a, love that uh, word. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love so, no. it. Sorry, I'm just like, I'm gonna say that as often as I can. Like, I still have to work on an IPGP. I think my IPGP is just gonna be like, include indigigogy. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I have to that's got, that's
0: Love it. <laughs> I learned it I learned it from Just recently From a from an elder Which is fabulous But yeah Like very Very beautiful teaching Very impactful for me As an educator too I was like Why I've always said Indigenous pedagogy Why haven't I put it together Which Honestly, is Honestly <laughs> Yeah I love that
1: Yeah no Indigenous pedagogy Obviously And then like I've heard indigeneity Multiple times too But yeah Indigigogy That's even just fun Indigogy Both Fun to say I love it (laughs) I love it too I love doing it Uh, (laughs) Love doing it, love saying it love the idea of it <laughs> oh great yeah <laughs>
0: exactly <laughs> so there's there's uh, emotionalities behind it though too that mm. teachers are feeling and they feel you know uncomfortable teaching uh these ways these notions these cultures and then they also feel that they don't want to misappropriate it uh which is very very fair and very um okay yep. for you to feel but there's a there's another researcher named susan Dion. And she really does call out these educators uh, and she calls them the perfect stranger because what they're using mm-hmm. is an excuse of being, okay, well, I have no relations to the content and I have no um, comfortability with it. Therefore, I shouldn't have to teach it, you know, like there's, there's an opt out, man, I'm opting out. I don't want it. I don't want to do it because I don't want to do the hard work. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's, it's very interesting because there's been another uh, scholar named Dwayne Donnell. He's uh, Papa Chase Cree, uh, Treaty 6 territory. And his work really focuses on ethical relations, ethical relationality, and creating a foundation of understanding your perspective as a settler, and then making it okay to then also teach someone else's perspective, but understanding your own first because that's first and foremost, right? So that's kind of the solution to the perfect stranger. And that's the solution to what you're discussing too, which is this uncomfortable emotionality. Well, of course, you're going to be uncomfortable with it because you got to unpack it for yourself. So that's really important for you to to do that work for you and to be able to meet yourself where you're at in order for you to then meet the content for what it is.
1: So Absolutely. it's just really important. So. Well, And it's just and it's such an interesting thing that like, at least for me, how how teachers are kind of afraid to do that. And I know and I say teachers very generally because I know that I was once very afraid of this, too. But, you know, teachers are never the perfect teacher. They're <laughs> never done. They are constantly having to, um, you know, to adapt and to change and to differentiate and to you know, sit back and be like, wow, that was a bad lesson. You know, like there's just so much reflection in education. So I I find it shocking that teachers know this, but then when it comes to something this sensitive, there's a bigger fear, you know, like there's not this fear when it's math or Canadian social studies. There's this fear because I honestly think maybe we have to admit that we've done wrong. We have to say that we are settlers. You know, like we are settler Canadians, we are not, you know, like, I think that that's like, it's a hard pill to swallow to know that the position that you're in now is a position of privilege. Um, And Yeah, so I think that maybe that's where the fear comes from, but I find it interesting that that fear is there, even like that fear of being wrong or doing it incorrectly when teachers do it sometimes six times a day, (laughs) you know, like, because that's like, that's teaching. It's a hard, hard job. You're never done learning. You're never done figuring it out. No one has it figured out. And the fact that principals and superintendents and any good teacher I've ever met says that, you know, like it says something legitimate, like teachers are never done learning. So no. I think, I, I find it interesting that there seems to be this, yeah, this, this kind of other side of it where there's almost an excuse for that fear when there isn't in regards to other ways. So yeah, yeah. I think that I like that term, um, perfect stranger for sure. Yeah, I think that that's very accurate for kind of that mental block that teachers have to literally get over, you know, like, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's tough, but I think it's, if you, if you want to do the work, you will and i think that that's basically is that i think it's getting people to really want to is maybe the absolutely harder part.
0: yeah absolutely and there's resources like so there's many. folks who want to support you there's folks who want to mm-hmm. guide you and want you to teach this information this yeah. content appropriate and inclusive and in empathetic ways because we know who it's going to be affecting which is the kids at the end of the day right so yeah. of course we want them to be a part of this notion of citizenship and what is Canadian citizenship what is yes. Canadian identity so what does this then mean for me to be a good neighbor what does it mean for me to be a good person good character right so we talk about these things also within curriculum we do and yep. you know you can make these connections in such brilliant and loving and compassionate ways where the kids And can like the seamless
1: ways you know like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be Okay, kids we're gonna sit down and talk about indigenous peoples you know like it doesn't have to be that it can be talking about um, teaching things like resilience and empathy as an indigenous way of knowing and being because of because it's rooted in indigenous culture you know so I and I think that that's maybe that's the fear is that they don't know how to make a lesson out of it Mm -hmm. don't you know like there's yes it's in curriculum but you don't have to necessarily approach it that way. And I think that that's an interesting perspective on it, too.
0: That's a great perspective. And I think there, there could be a lot of uh, <laughs> lesson plans or, you know, yeah. further research <laughs> that could potentially be done on that. I think that's actually really, that's a really interesting way to look at it as well. Because, mm-hmm. no, it shouldn't just be like, okay, this is the time for this. This is the time for sales. Let's yeah. do this. Although it is important in some cases to talk about that. Say residential yes. schools, right? Like yes. would need to... You know, do so very um, appropriately and also very compassionately, lovingly, um, yep. and also with um, inclusionary actions and ensuring safety within yeah. the classroom and those are caring. So, but you know, it's it's again a part of this indigigogy of yeah. being able to then unpack all of these notions for yourself. Totally. What suits your needs? What suits your class's needs? What suits yep. your school needs as a community? What do you all need? As yes. a community to be able to work through this together because I think that's what teachers also do they feel like overwhelmed because this seems like a lot of work yeah. that's like a lot of responsibility on the shoulders so
1: yeah and they're always forget. Is. Yeah.
0: always is always yeah. is
1: yeah and it's just like it, and it's just you know I I can't wait for the day and I hope that I'm still teaching to see it you know that it isn't it is isn't indigigogy that's, that feels like the heavy thing, you know, like yeah. it's the thing that, you know, like I just don't, uh, and I'm just really getting started in my settler education, you know, like journey and identity. Um, and I'm still doing it wrong sometimes and I'm still trying to kind of figure out how to do it better, but I, I just, I hope for the day and I hope that I'm still teaching that like, it's no longer the thing put on the back burner, right. you know, like, you know, I, I don't want... It's just that. Like, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, at some point, the reconciliation thing will be taught historically. You know, it won't be taught as something that we're still trying to work through appropriately. You know, it's right. like, it's something that we have, we have, we have reconciled. And I don't, and I actually don't even know if that's accurate now that I'm saying those words. I don't know if reconciliation is ever done. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, I just find it. I just can't wait for the day that maybe it's no longer the thing on the back burner. <laughs>
0: yeah i i say that reconciliation is i've shared this with my with my with my academic networks and also with my work with the federal government but what i say is that reconciliation is both a mindset and an action so it's a duality it serves as a duality so it's every single day the work is every single day you're working on it every single day you're unpacking it every single day like yep. and it should be like that. You should be thinking about your relations. You should be thinking about the folks who have come before who are still on the land. And you should be thinking about, you know, various ways especially as an educator, um especially yes. as an educator, how you can connect, you know, this mindset of ensuring everyone's inclusiveness everyone's perspectives everyone's narratives yeah and then ensuring that your actions reflect those mindsets so it's it's a continuous practice it's just yeah yeah
1: <laughs> it's a very important thing to Yeah, to have a part of that daily that daily learning yeah absolutely yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. it's an awesome process and it's really beautiful
1: totally. so in
0: regards to reconciliation then and, and ensuring that you know resilience education and still to the to our topic because i know we're we're talking about so much but it's all related <laughs> with everything connected it's just that's okay for for this to be occurring because it's beautiful nonetheless so how like, can settler educators appropriately use you know in Ditchagogy, uh like supporting <laughs> resilience within their practice
1: in my experience i actually did uh, you know, building and fostering resilience in the classroom as my capstone project after, um, yeah, in, in Mount Royal. So like kind of the culmination of our whole degree after our practicum. And my approach then, I think I would have, like, obviously very reflective <laughs> teachers are, but um, I think I would have changed a few things, maybe made the fact that resilience is an Indigenous way of knowing and being a little bit more clear and done, you know, a little bit of a deeper study on that. But the way that I approached resilience at the time was through a growth mindset and inquiry approach to learning, because if you don't allow your classroom for, like, you know, if you you kind of don't give the room for students to make mistakes, you're not giving them the opportunity to be resilient, Mm. you know, like, so um, inquiry, like there were actually two science units that I think I directly taught three days out of because they were they were in grade six may i I should probably say so they were able to have a little bit more independence and you know they didn't need step-by-step help on technology or things like that so it was um it was helpful with the age group that i was working in but i just kind of said here's what you need to figure out go and you know and so of course i understood the curriculum and what they needed to know so when they brought me information you know it was uh Yep, yep, close, not yet, not even close kind of thing. And it was just kind of those conversations and those conferencing that happened. But they were like, oh, okay, I'll just go right back because they like research. They like just kind of figuring things out. So I fostered resilience in the way that I allowed them to make mistakes because I kind of put them in the, in the driver's seat of their own learning, which I think worked really, really well for the busy groups that I had. Um, but then paired with that, we did like active resilience, um, practice. So we read the book, um, or I actually read the book, sit to them. It was a collection of, um, short stories and I'm, the author is escaping me right now. So I might have to look it up and get back to you, but I would just read a short story a couple times a week. They would sit with their visual journals and they would doodle and draw and write words about how these characters were resilient um and then so when i included in social studies obviously talking about how um you know first nations people or indigenous people were all resilient during residential schools and i think that that one was really impactful because they didn't really understand how close to their lifetime these things happened um so i found that that was a really interesting kind of piece um but i think that what i just really liked about the study of resilience is that Everybody is resilient as long as like (laughs) when they have kind of a barrier or an obstacle in front of them So, you know, I didn't even really have to like the you know, kind of the active resiliency practice was something that was just um, Having a deeper understanding of what resiliency was, but I was at the time just giving them the opportunity to fail so that they could figure out what to do better next time Um, and then like i said i know that i didn't focus it on indigeneity nearly enough now but it's something that i'm working on kind of modifying as i'm now teaching grade two but it's just it's just kind of what i touched on earlier is that um resiliency or resilience depending on the, <laughs> how where i go this sentence here is just something that in it's it's an indigenous way of knowing and being and i think that that was something that i could have made clearer Um, but again, like settler education is something that I'm really just trying to dive headfirst into. So I have to acknowledge my mistakes so I know what to do better next time. But yeah, I just, um, yeah, I I found it really cool that they just, they bounced back so quick. Like kids are resilient, you know, like it happens, you know, there's issues on the playground and then they want to play with that person five minutes later anyways, you know, like it's just like resilience is just a natural human reaction to things and I think that if you give people the opportunity in a safe space where relationships Mm -hmm. are built um to make those mistakes then they're not going to be as afraid to fail and then Mm -hmm. that resilience is just kind of like a reflex almost for lack of a better term you know like it just kind of happens because they're in a safe space where they aren't afraid to make those mistakes so that was the approach that I took at the time when I kind of first started thinking about resilience in education um and I obviously know now that more Uh, you know kind of indigenous ideas need to be prevalent in regards to that but I think that that was it was that practicum and that study and that research that really got me thinking like people need to focus more on what they can do after the hard thing and not getting stuck at the hard thing it was kind of where I was at so yeah that's kind of that's where I where this kind of where this aspect of my settler education journey started so yeah hmm
0: (laughs) yeah Just absorbing that was yeah. uh, that's, It's interesting. It's very interesting because there's a couple things that you've talked on, like knowing and understanding that um, that resilience is in, indigenous, it is, but it's also human. Uh, yes. I think we all have the capacity to be resilient. I think we all face obstacles yeah. and adversity, but all of us build resilient or resiliency uh, resilience in itself in every single facet of our lives and, and 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 understanding like yes there's major indigenous intentions and um, relationality here but yeah. what's also important to note is that every single human being also is capable to be resilient and to foster this resiliency for yes. themselves within their lives and to feel freely to go through these mistakes and to face themselves in the most difficult spaces because it's where we fail it's where we make the mistakes where we learn the most about ourselves and that's where true absolutely. growth actually happens
1: that's so, where yeah, it's growth learning that's where all of like that that really deep true you know like the nitty-gritty of the experience like that's where that's where it lies absolutely no. you don't there's so many lessons that you can't learn until you make the mistake first no. you know so yeah I find that um, so I think that just resilience as a whole is something that kids have it's just a matter about how we foster it and then how we approach the idea as an indigenous way of knowing but then not letting the kids forget that they are resilient every day no matter what so it's kind of it's a very delicate balance that i'm obviously still trying to figure out but that was yeah i i find it a very i find a very interesting topic for sure
0: absolutely i can tell you're very passionate about it so it's (laughs) it's definitely it's it's beautiful to to see it and it is something very indigenous based it is something very um culturally based especially for for what many of us have had to endure and go through today yeah. being you know for example with the metis community uh today's louis riel's uh birthday so oh, it's it is
1: so yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so with he was the the founder of um, of um, of Manitoba, I still believe he is, um, as he was a part of all the um, relations, all the treaties, all the negotiations, basically to ensure that the um, the province of Manitoba was a part of the confederation. So he did a lot yeah. of the brunt work for it, right? But Absolutely. the way that Métis people um, are affected by his work and his legacy is the point of resilience because what occurred from those negotiations was then battles and a major one being the Battle of Batoche, uh, which occurred in Saskatchewan. And because of that battle in particular, it labeled Louis Riel as a rebellious person and he ended up getting- I was gonna
1: say yeah, yeah. Yeah, but got the yeah. work done and I just I love the way that you didn't talk you didn't want to say like Red River Rebellion, you know, and but that's what we learned in school was the Red River Rebellion. We don't learn about him making a province, you know, like you know, nah. like actually cre- like founding a province, you know, like uh, that was obviously a major part of it. But like we learn uh, about the rebellion and we learn about it because and like with that connotation for a reason. So yeah. I, I was so like, yeah, I, I'm just glad that that, yeah, I love it. I love the way that you worded it and explained his. Massive impact on Canadian yeah. culture, yeah,
0: and and that's the thing is again that perspective notion and assumption that it was a rebellion, quote unquote. But us as Métis people, we call it a resistance. We were resisting yeah. the powers that be that were trying to suppress us, to suppress our culture. Um, and much like what occurred with the treaties, uh, it still occurred with the settlements, and that's why we have settlements across. Uh, the prairies, in particular, so we we have this culture still bright, and we are just reconnecting to whom we are and it's been a beautiful process it's been very powerful and impactful, especially for mm-hmm. myself and coming to be. but it's also been a very beautiful process for my family because even with my with my grandmother, she she didn't tell my mom that she was Métis. She tried to hide it from her. And mm. my mom, you know, she's uh, received a lot of racist connotations for, for the way that she looks. And that then affects me, right? And it's it's intergenerational, this notion of resilience or even with healing in itself. Like, Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's-
0: ancestor based it is completely within our bloodline it's blood memory and you know i i i support my ancestors i'm learning more about my ancestors and they did fight epitosh that now that i'm i'm you know reaffirming that and learning about that i think that's so interesting so that's amazing and also on the side of louis Riel. so it was very affirming for me to learn that about my ancestry so with metis people it's it's really beautiful and it's a really important perspective to then share with you know students and you know not to call it a rebellion it wasn't a rebellion it was a resistance and that languaging is really important especially within our curriculum our work as educators Mm -hmm. and to ensure narratives are shared appropriately within the class because that's all it's being brought back to is the narrative sharing and appropriately sharing it truthfully accurately and with research intentionally behind that right so it yeah. it's really key.
1: and and from like especially I think from my perspective objectively you know like I don't ever want to oh I guess only only do the white side of the conversation justice you right. know like they the language that we use when we teach is what the students remember you know like that's what they're learning they remember the language used so if we use the word rebellion over resistance in our minds even if we don't necessarily say they did something wrong the connotation in children's minds means that they did so it's you know it isn't until the curriculum can include kind of better information i think it's our job as teachers to make sure that we are doing both sides of the story justice yeah and, and absolutely and I think that, like it just it or else it's going to be kind of the same narrative as now and there might be more pushback because of just kind of the ways that stories are told and the way that knowledge is shared it just yeah, yeah. we have to make sure that both both sides of the story and i say both obviously very generally be, uh, because there are so many people involved obviously in every decision and every act that happened but we just have to make sure that i guess both yeah all all perspectives are included and um and and equally as acceptable and e- and equally as understood and respected and yeah i think it's just it's really really hard work to do because the curriculum you know very directly tells us what we should be teaching but it's um you know i think that as a settler educator it has to be a starting point and a jumping off point point. and if we're really going to do the work we have to make sure that we're willing to do the research with um you know like good sources and good resources in the background and then just know that um the the children will want to know both sides of the story you know like even in problem solving narratives in in the classroom like we talk about Both sides of the story when kids get into an argument before we understand what the problem is we have to understand both people's sides and most of the time it's a misunderstanding you know and that's a really important yeah i think just it's an important step that we have to take absolutely
0: yeah. and those misunderstandings too that's what fosters education that's what fosters uh, conversations so it's it's really important for kids to to meet to meet those miscommunications even and to then build from it and to learn from it yeah and to yeah, evolve absolutely and to grow yes. and to be who
1: <laughs> they need to be as a whole yeah, to be who, yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah and honestly i think that you know so many of like the conversations that i've mediated nothing happened but they but people were both just very upset so you know i would you know we we sat and we listened and we talked and Mm. then at the at the end all three of us just kind of agreed that we needed to just apologize that there was a misunderstanding and for our actions because of what we understood not necessarily like Mm. he hit me because or she did this because it was just i'm sorry that i misunderstood you and reacted the way that i did (laughs) you know like it does you know i think that that's just a kind of a really uh, i think and that's happened multiple times with a few kiddos i think that that's just an important way to um yeah just kind of it's like a nice little teachable moment because misunderstandings and you know misconstruing of information happens all the time so yeah i think that that was that's been a very powerful sentence for my six to eight year olds for sure
0: (laughs) i like it i love that (laughs)
1: So, um,
0: so in relation to what we're talking about too, especially with, you know, the comfortability called like the being a perfect stranger, I think I've already previously talked about. Yeah. Um, but I was curious with your perspective and your intentionality with this. Um, why do you think it is important to support slash build comfortability when using a digigogy like supporting resilience in your practice mm. or any, kind of, you know, indigenous notions within the classroom?
1: Um, Yeah, I think that we have touched on this just a little bit, but I think it's just um, where I was going with it. Like, one thing that really stood out to me when we went to the Sutena Museum um, for that class was learning kind of directly from the Sutena people that they themselves are still collecting information about their own culture and their language. You know, like, it's how... Um, I think that they told us that that was how Sutina used to be pronounced Sutina with two different words. And now it was with one word and it was Sutina, And it was because they have learned more information about their culture. And, you know, kind of with, because of residential schools and the 60s scoop and all of those things, they had displaced knowledge because their people were displaced. So I think that it's mm-hmm. just, um, I think that it's important to note that in order to be comfortable, with teaching resilience we have to understand that um like we have to be resilient I guess to and be and kind of believe that we can kind of collect that information as it comes out um and not just um and not just kind of be okay with the like the basic information that's already out there you know like we have to be resilient and kind of just understand that um, it, it might not be comfortable work at the beginning because of how much is involved. Um, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get is kind of, at least in my, um, yeah, at least in my opinion or at least in my experience, like it, it's never gonna, it's never just gonna, it's never gonna stop because there's still so much information out there. And even many indigenous cultures are learning more about their culture um, as, you know, as their people become less displaced as become they, and as they become more connected to each other again. So okay. I think that it's just, we have to be okay with the fact that we're not going to know it all at once. So we have to be resilient in order to be comfortable yeah. teaching resilience is really just how I would word that. Um, and I think that that's, we, I think we just have to be okay with the fact that we're not going to get it right away, which weirdly mm-hmm. enough, again, for teachers is hard. You know, for some reason, we're never like a, a lot of type A, very organized people go into teaching and then, but then we decide to spend our lives in a profession where you're never done and you're never perfect. So it's a very interesting kind of almost ironic balance <laughs> that we kind yeah, of have to accept. Absolutely. So, yeah, and I don't always think that it's comfortable work. Like I think that um, even myself initially, I felt weird referring to myself as a settler, even though I very much am, you know? So I think that it's, it's not gonna be comfortable until it is and you just don't really know when when it's yeah when that point comes um yeah yeah, but again that's coming from a very um kind of new perspective in it like i'm just kind of realizing now that i'm not there's still a lot that i don't know but i have to do my best with what i do know and then do my best to learn as much more as i can and i I think that's just kind of yeah that's just kind of where at least where i'm at so that would be what i would recommend to people who are wanting to kind of more dive into that settler educator ideology and identity and perspective as well so yeah yeah.
0: absolutely no it's beautiful and i think with with um with understanding narratives perspectives and gaining comfortability it's also important to listen to the variety of stories uh by indigenous Mm. people and uh, indigenous people so it's, it's really an impactful and a very important notion to go through. And I always recommend two particular books that I think really, really support this intentionality. Actually, three books, sorry. Um, mm. <laughs> I love books. <laughs>
1: um, but I, There's I, um, so much out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I, I believe in um, From the Ashes with uh, Jesse Thistle. I think uh, his work and his connection to being Métis and Cree and the journey he's gone through uh, to go through the systems of which he was in has been very mm. major uh, to his uh, journey uh, with identity, with who he is. And I always mm. recommend that book. It's a, it's a good read. It's an important read. Um, and it's, it's very powerful. Very powerful book. Um, The Inconvenient Indian by Thomas King, uh, which has, uh, oh, he has true love. That uh, book. T- yeah. It's really great. It's so funny. He's very hilarious, yeah. actually, within it, too, the way that he writes. He's so
1: like, yeah, like he's so like sarcastic, which I found really yeah, funny and very <laughs> approachable. Yeah, like it was just a very, like, yeah, for someone, for something that was so like kind of sassy, it was, yeah, very approachable. Um, information. Yeah,
0: I loved it. It was a very good book. Yeah. Good. Yeah, like even the way that he opens it. You know, I'm not going to start with Columbus. I'm not going to start with Columbus. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Next to you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good.
0: And um, a third one is is uh, by uh, Richard uh, Wigamese and uh, and he has since passed, but uh, he's uh, he's a boy. And uh, his work is called Our Story, Our Song, or even Indian Horse. And I think with mm, those yeah. two works, those two pieces, um, our, uh, one story, one song really is telling of his life and his identity and his perspectives. But with Indian mm. Horse, it's talking about, you know, the residen- you know, residential schooling system, resiliency of yep. youth uh, being able to be whom they are, how they are, through connection with sports. And it's actually very... It's a good read and it's a very connective read. And yeah. you know, it's a really great way to connect knowledge because like of course, you know, we're in Canada, like every a lot of a lot of folks I can't generalize, but a lot of folks really enjoy hockey. Um, yeah. I enjoy hockey. I'm a Jets fan. I'm but- one of them, Yep.
1: <laughs> oh, your Jets? Oh man. Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I got ready. Because your team can win often. more often. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too we funny always make
0: it to the playoffs and then that's it you know it's just uh uh you know it's yeah not yeah. so good yep <laughs> <laughs> no oh, but one know, day, uh,
1: one
0: yeah, and, uh, oh one day i believe i believe i believe in the cup <laughs> one day um <laughs> and it, it fosters community right so like when people think mm. about you know, um the community of hockey or the community of connection in this way then they can also connect it mm. to various other pieces again of community and connection. So it could be really easy to make those connections like, Oh wow, you play hockey. I played hockey. Wow. You're going through that. What? Like, yeah. and it just yeah. allows folks to really connect in, in a surface level, but then as a beautiful level of actual connection in 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 a really um, impactful way. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's fostering those relations, I think. So again, narratives are really important to then understand yeah um this conversation and resiliency but then also comfortability with then teaching resiliency and there's beautiful and important ways to do it but again from narratives and perspectives of indigenous peoples is really key
1: yeah absolutely and so remind me and now I'm gonna sound like such a bad friend right now because I'm recommending a book and can't remember the title remind me to get back to you I have a family friend um who is also Métis um, and she just actually got her doctorate, um, and I think her doctorate was actually kind of um, yeah. She is amazing. Yeah, Jennifer Marquardt. You got a shout out. Yeah, <laughs> she um, <laughs> she um, has been written or like been kind of a co-writer, co-author on many books from kind of like the Métis perspective. I know that I have, I know that I have one. But I will get you the titles because I think that you would, even just kind of what you're talking about and how I know she writes and who she is, I think that you would really, really enjoy them. So I will, um, yeah, I will send you those books so that you can read them. And hopefully everyone listening can read them as well. And learn a lot from
0: them. Thank you, thank you. Use all the resources. Gotcha. Yeah, all the information. <laughs>
1: yes. Love it. It's never done. Never done. Never. <laughs>
0: Oh, perfect. Well, I think that's a lovely that's a lo- lovely resource uh, sharing, um, but I would also like to learn about, you know, I th- I think with the last question here, and I think it's very impactful, mm. and I think it's very pivotal. I think mm. to think about this especially within relation to our current society what's going on within our context of you know the election within the united states with you know the truth and reconciliation commission of canada what's going on in general for a lot Mm. of people a
1: lot of folks um all over canada right now absolutely even all yeah all over the world absolutely but even just the indigenous people in canada right now are there's a lot going on that a lot of people don't understand but seem to have very um strong opinions about yeah. Which is interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, it's important knowledge to talk about, share, and again, in relation to treaty education, it's very key to talk about these things and then talking about yep. reconciliation um, for it to actually occur, is to talk about the knowledge prior to it, right? Mm-hmm. So all alluding to this big question, which is in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement,
1: mm-hmm. in regards
0: to the impacting calls to action of the TRC document, also, with what's going on with uh, brothers and sisters on the front lines currently, right now, how might subtler educators use uh, resilience in DigiGogy um, to better support action taking advocacy um, and anti racism education within their students and for mm-hmm. their students? So, how, how might teachers take this work up if they can so <sighs> in many ways within the classroom?
1: That's such a hard... Like, it's just... It's so prevalent right now, so it makes it even more important. But there's just... There's so many moving parts in each of those. Um, and kind of just... In, uh, just like what you said with the brothers and sisters on the front lines right now, um, in the TRC, with Black Lives Matter, there just seems to be so many moving parts and so many things that a lot of people don't understand. But what I keep going back to is these people going... Th- that. Uh, are human (laughs) they are human people that are being impacted um and i don't really know why that needs to be political but it is and so that's kind of just another hard pill to swallow is that it shouldn't be political but it is um so i think outside of the classroom um and i of course don't want to like sound like i'm swaying any voters or anything but i (laughs) you i think you just have to consider the fact of who is impacted in what way when you vote um and how those impacts happen whether it's financially whether it is with actual rights and equity and equality um you know so i think that that um, is something to just to consider and i think that's a an interest it's a it's a hard thing to kind of consider when when your livelihood is potentially impacted in a different way kind of in that decision so i can understand that that's a hard Uh, uh, potentially a hard change or a hard decision to make um but at the end of the day I will always just go back to the fact that these are people and they are not getting treated fairly there's injustices in the world right now um and I think that if you were in those shoes so you have to kind of think empathetically um in order to think resilient resiliently That Yeah, (laughs) I think with resilience, Um, you just have to think like, if that were me in that position, what would I want someone to do for me? Um, So that is kind of the approach that I take in the classroom and I try to teach it with an empathetic lens. Um, And I think that it's hard because social media keeps everybody very... Interconnected. Whether you're close or you're far, there's a lot of information out there. So, and we had touched on this briefly. It's important to note where these sources are coming from, um, if certain information is hidden for a reason, if only certain people's stories are being told for a reason. You know, so obviously, looking at the resources out there, but then doing the work to go further, right. um, and and just kind of consider the source and consider who wrote it and why and why it's out there more than others. Um, but honestly, I think, yeah, pol- politically charged topics is kind of what I like to call them. They're all over social media right now. And there's just, it's it's hard sometimes as even like outside of like just the educational like aspect of my identity, um, you know, to not come across preachy or like a know-it-all um, because I think that people find that off-putting. So it's an interesting I find it it's hard, you know, I don't even know if I have an answer. I think that you have to just approach the topics with an empathetic understanding yeah. and you have to be resilient and almost kind of model the resilience or resilience in didgogy yourself. Um, like for yourself and just kind of yeah. Um, yeah, it's like it's it's tough because there's just so many moving parts. Yeah. And but at the end of the day, I will just say that people's lives are being impacted. And whether or not you agree or disagree with what the the reason why these things are happening, whether it be the fisheries on the East Coast or whether it be that there's a lot of black on white crime, too, or whatever it is. You know, at the end of the day, people are being impacted. Um, And if you were one of the people being impacted, I think that you would whistle a different tune. So I think that you just have to kind of approach resilience in digigogy through an empathetic lens and yeah. then you can kind of take baby steps forward because it can't happen yeah. all at once, especially because there's moving parts. Um, to yeah, to just do your best to understand better. It, and I, yeah, it's really tough. I think that resilience and empathy have to go hand in hand yeah. in, in teaching and in learning. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I completely agree. I think that's really beautiful and it's well put and it's the humanness behind all these actions, all these notions and understanding that every single person is a human, just like you and me. So coming from that perspective, understanding empathy and again, empathy is seeing yourself in someone else's shoes, like actually trying to practice that, although it might be very difficult and you can only imagine what someone else has experienced, but still trying to get to that place of empathy is really important work to be able to also do. And I think with you know a remaining um, a remaining point, and it, it's a part of the resource that was also shared with this conversation. But I mm. think it's really impactful, and really beautiful, um, and really telling for for everything that we've kind of unpacked together here. Which is first, teachers need to take the time to unpack their understanding of resilience uh, through reading and listening to indigenous perspectives, and of resilience is just really yeah. important. That's first and foremost, and. Then teachers can work towards the foundations of safety, comfort, and ensuring um, this within inside their classroom or within their educational settings or whatever that looks like to them. Yep. And when you foster this, then you create connection, and then you're then able to create that safe environment for students to so then feel yep. that they can achieve and they can be resilient and they can work towards unpacking themselves also mm-hmm. and that will then create important progress for the students because nonetheless resilience at the end of the day is personal it is up to every single child to be able to build for themselves what yes. educators are what we are as people we just support you we support you journey. we are yeah. not the Uh, people who are telling you how you should learn, we are simply the facilitators of your journey and your progress for your own life because it's your own life
1: at the end of the day. And I think another important part of that kind of community that you build in the classroom is allowing for critical thinking questions. You know, like I want kids to question what I'm saying so that they can have a deeper understanding of why I'm so passionate about it, you know? So, and I think, especially because we're all human and make mistakes, even if I'm the one that's supposed to be, and you know, in the kid's eyes, the giver of knowledge, or, you know, you know, like I think I want them to obviously in a respectful way, call me out if they think I made a mistake so that they can have clarification. And then from there, once they understand what I said, even if they're confused, ask why, you know, And, and kind of just be and understand that, questioning things is okay and and uh, because you learn from asking questions and I think that asking really powerful questions is incredibly important but I think that at the end of the day one thing that you shouldn't ever have to question is if everybody deserves the same rights and privileges as everybody else no. so I think that it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation that comes up or many interesting conversations that can come up from it. Yeah. So I think that that's um, I think that there's an interesting kind of double-edged sword there, where you want yeah. them to question and kind of understand where our passion and our understanding and why we're so excited to teach them these things comes from. But at the end of the day, they should never. At least I, my goal is that they never ever question that they have value, and then that yeah. means that everyone else around them has that same value. So then when Absolutely. people don't, when people aren't being treated equally or people that don't have that same privilege um they can kind of hopefully learn from me how to make really good and important steps forward mm-hmm. and it could just be a little teeny baby step but a whole yeah. bunch of teeny baby steps can take you a long way if there's more than one person taking them so absolutely yeah it takes so a it village does.
0: it takes everybody it, absolutely it takes everyone to be able to, to to develop these notions especially for our kids because at the end of the day this is all for our kids so it's
1: yeah absolutely key Yep.
0: That's beautiful. Ah,
1: oh, Ashlyn. What a great conversation this has been. <laughs> I just want to keep going. I know. I feel like we could talk all day. I'll be. I'll come back anytime.
0: That sounds perfect. I appreciate that immensely. I'm yes. appreciate yes. your knowledge. I appreciate your perspective, especially you. with the work you're doing as an ally, as a settler educator. And and gives me hope, basically. It, it oh, just gives me thanks. a lot of hope. So I appreciate your work. I appreciate you and you. our conversation tonight. So thank you so much for being a part of this.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again for this platform. And I, you are just have always been someone that I felt that even though we were learning alongside each other, that I was learning from as that happened. So I just thank you for your leadership and thank you for your perspective because there's so much about you know, the Métis culture that I've learned even just from our conversation today and from university together. So just thank you so much for this platform and thank you for considering me and teachers out there. You can be an ally very easily. You just got, you just, you can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful.
0: see Excellent. thank you so much. Thank, thank you for watching and listening and uh, we hope they have a wonderful night.
1: Absolutely. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>